Okay. So we're going to look at Korach's rebellion today. There are a million ways to look at this um, this text. You know, if you think about the the structure of the uh, book of Numbers, it's it's a book about order and. Everything up to this point, uh, you know, the first eight or ten books particularly, was all about how, uh, how the, the children of Israel were to be ordered, structured, numbered, everywhere, who's going to camp where, how the, how the um, Mishkan was to be set up, who was going to carry it, all of these wonderful things. You know, it's like an instruction book about how to move a million people through a desert. Okay? So everything is about order in the whole thing. And we come to this portion of the text and all of a sudden all of that is thrown into disorder. And it's thrown into disorder mostly by the machinations of one dissatisfied human being. One guy. And so, if you read, uh, as we read the first line of that portion, it tells us that Korach, son of so-and-so, he's a son of Levi. We're, that, that's very deliberate to let us know that he is a Levite. But it tells us that he separated himself. In some texts it tells us he separated himself distinguished himself from the others by uh, his rebellion. In my text here, it says, uh, after he had gotten some allies, they rose up before Moses. They rose up in rebellion, obviously, against Moses. Why is this such a, is this such a problem? The problem is this, that God is a God of order. He takes chaos... And he creates distinction in chaos. And out of that distinction comes order and blessing. That's how it works. I mean, if you think about how creation began, everything is tohu vavohu. It's all messed up. And it says God separated the waters from the waters. He separated the land from the waters. He separated by doing by creating distinctions in the created mass, he made a blessing. Even in humanity, he does so. And a pro- there's a, but there's a problem with this. When you create boundaries, when boundaries are created in order to create those orderly things, there are those who insist on having of not being happy with their assignment right so what's the first commitment what's one of the 10 commandments to me this should have been the first commandment because really every other com- every other sin that is committed in the in the world is committed because we commit this one first the 10 commandment says you shall not covet and coveting is the sin that nobody gets past. In fact, the rabbis actually talk about it. Coveting is something that happens inside of us. 
It's not something that is external. It happens on the inside first, and then it may manifest itself in any one of the other sins that are committed. To push the thing. Okay. Right? We'll immediately, once something wells up inside of us, then we may or may not act on it. And if you look at all the other sins, stealing, killing, so on, lying, all the other commandments find their origin in this one. And so God is telling us that we need to guard our hearts because this is, one, this is the source of all difficulty. And it certainly was the source of the difficulty with Korah. Right? Okay. Oh, you know, my son has taught me, you know, whenever you're doing these kinds of heavy sermons, it's a good thing to have something light and easy to, to deal with, so I'm going to do a cartoon myself. Okay. All right. So here's one where, let me see. I'm trying to remember. What was the name of this cartoon? I can't remember. I'm having a senior moment, people. So forgive me with my senior moment. But anyway... You have the ram and you have... Now, the mouse in this cartoon is a wise guy. He's always a wise guy and he's always making trouble for everybody, all the other characters that are found in this comic strip. It'll come to me. Don't worry about it. Right? And so what, so what does it say? Good Lord, what now? And he says, I am, a, I am pompous boy, the superhero who knows what's best for you. Now, he is... So he's my Korah, in this situation. Because Korah, think about Korah. It says that Korah was the son of Levi. He was of a particular uh, group within the Levitical tribe. And if you, interestingly enough, if you lay out the camp of the Israelites, you will discover that where his encampment was, was right next to the Reubenites, Dathan and Aviram. All right? So, gee, how unusual for a guy who's unsatisfied to go whispering to his buddies next door, hey, you know, this is wrong. Hey, we, should, we, have, we have a real grievance. Let's go talk to Moses, blah, blah, blah. And eventually something happens. He's trying to convince them, I know what's best for you. I am pompous boy, the superhero who knows what's best for everybody, even above those who have been appointed into the leadership. Okay? Well, he says, the goat says, and by the way, that's their names, goat and rat, by the way. Okay. Uh, superheroes have superpowers. And he says, I can inflate my head to twice its normal size. Of course. That's who I am. And remember what, Mo, what, he, what he says to Moses, when they confront Moses, let's take a look at what they said of Moses. Right? He says, they assembled against, uh, together against Moses and, and Aaron said to them, you've gone far enough. I can imagine what that was like. You've gone far enough for all the congregation are holy. Every one of them. Now, you know, that's a true statement. All the congregation is holy. But why has, uh, why has Korach become their spokesman? 
How did they get to that place where they were holy at all? Was it by the hand of Korah? Was it even by the hand of Moses? No. It was by the hand of the Lord. If the people have a petition, they have a petition with God. But don't worry, I can inflate my head to twice its normal size, so I'll get you there. All right? We'll be able to get there with that. So Korah wants to be Aaron. He's decided that his head is twice its normal size. And you see, here's the problem. Remember what I said about God creating order in the midst of chaos? By Korah saying to Abraham, I'm just as good as you are. I need to be in the place. Why should you be the leader instead of me? Why should Aaron be the high priest instead of me? What he does is he says, God, you're wrong. God, you're wrong. You see, we're we're about to see a crazy thing happen, right? I want you to do something whenever you read the Bible, uh, particularly when you're reading the Hebrew Scriptures, and you read a portion, and God has this unbelievably wild reaction, right? He, he says, I'm going to kill everybody. I'm going to throw, uh, you know, like when in the sin of the golden calf, 3,000 people dead right away. And then he sends a plague and 25,000 more die. You have to ask yourself, why does God react this way? Is he merely a capricious, angry, you know, immature being? Or is there something more that is going on here that we really need to understand? Because we have as our, as uh, a priori, that God is gracious and merciful and kind. Then we have to understand even his, his need, need, I'm looking for a word, need doesn't seem to fit it, to do something when these things happen. Something very, something radical. So what in the world is Korah's crime? Is it just that he coveted? It was just coveting? If that's the case, let's all duck under cover because we're about about, about to get swallowed up because who doesn't covet something? It's not the coveting. It's the acting on what we covet that matters most. And in the case of Korah, he let his head get twice its normal size. And for that, it had to be lopped off. Because what he did was he said to God, you're not God. Because God, in the mitzvahs, in the commandments earlier, if we read through them in Exodus and Leviticus, appointed Aaron to be priests. And earlier in the book of Levi, uh, in, the, in the book of Numbers, he appointed the, Levi, the Levites to their particular task. Everything was set in order. So when he's saying to Moses, no, oh, no, listen, we're all holy, I can do what you do. He's saying, God is wrong. God is not God. And the sin he commits is a violation of the first commandment. 
not the tenth. You see, the tenth tells us we're in trouble. All the other ones tell us we've gone too far. And that's what happened. He allowed his coveting to, 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 he acted on what he coveted to the extent that he committed grave sin. Grave sin. You know why? Because sometimes we just don't appreciate the order that God has created for us. Let's see our next cartoon. A big head is not a superpower, says the goat. But no, no, hush. I know what's best for you. This is what Korach is telling all of his friends. You may not think it's a superpower, but I know what's best. And so what happens? Ay, 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 what does that happen? Let's take a look. So, it says, I want to get to the bad part. All right. So it says, each of you, in verse 17 of chapter 16, it says, each of you take his fire, his fire pen and puts incense on it, and each of you bring a censer before the Lord, 250 fire pans. Also you and Aaron shall bring his fire pans. So they each took their own censer, and the censer was a, the symbol of their priesthood and their ability to make the sacrifice, okay? Uh, and they stood at the doorway of the tent of meeting with Moses and Aaron. Thus Korah assembled all the congregation against them at the door of the tent of meeting. And the glory of the Lord appeared to all the congregation. Then Moses said, then the Lord said, separate yourselves from among this congregation that I may consume them instantly. And so it was that the earth swallowed them up for their insubordination. Why such a terrible reaction? Because they had rejected God. They couldn't accept the, the leadership position that they'd been given. Because what does Moses say to him? He says to him, he pleads with him. And he says to him, you know, Corey, you know, you are a man of great honor. You've been given a great position before God. Why do you want another one? What is it that requires you to have that? God has separated you and made him uh, a, you a special possession for himself. Why would you want something else? Can we live with the, with the order of things? Can we live with the honor that we have been given rather than seeking out something that does not belong to us? This is the great problem, and I think it's the great problem in all the world. We, coveting is what creates every other sin. And because human beings covet what other human beings have always had, we have wars and we have hate. We have crime. We have all the sorrows that make up the, the, uh, the condition of this world. If only we could accept what it means to, be, to live in the will of God. 
There's an example given to us. Uh, let's go. We went through this. There's an example given in the Gospel of Matthew. When the sons of Zebedee come to Messiah Yeshua. They come to Messiah Yeshua and they say, Listen, Lord, we're about to establish the kingdom. And we want to be the men who sit at your right and left hand. Now remember something. There are ten other apostles. Ten of them. Why did these two young men think that they're the guys who should be at the right and left hand of God, necessarily? I mean, okay. They were with Yeshua from the beginning. They've been through a lot of stuff with him. But there's nothing particularly wonderful about either one of these guys. And yet, here they are demanding something very important, right? Yeshua says, you do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am about to drink? And they said to him, we are able. See, they got into their mind that they were like him. That they could do what he could do. Looks like their heads swell to twice its normal size. They must have had the same superpower as rats. But Messiah Yeshua is telling them there's a price to pay for leadership in the kingdom of heaven. You know, you know Korah wants to be Moses. He wants to be Aaron. But this, he doesn't even realize what he's saying. Those two men had a difficult life. Moses' life was a misery, a misery, because he had to lead those people, he had to care for every one of their souls, and they gave him nothing but trouble his entire life. And they finally got him kicked out of the, out of the, war, out of the uh, promised land. Aaron, too. Aaron had the greatest position of all. He could go into the Holy of Holies, and there make a sacrifice before the living God. He could stand in God's presence. But for that, he had to pay the ultimate price. He had to live a life so pure and holy that none of us could, could bear it. So many restrictions on his life. You want the job? I'm sure Aaron many times says, you want the job, you can have it. No problem with me. And now these two young men, they say, no sweat, Yeshua, we'll drink from that same cup. Come on, we can do it because our heads are twice the size. We have superpowers. It's so easy. It's so easy to be the man in charge. It's just so easy to do. And there's no, listen, it's nothing but joy and peace and wonder and doing whatever you want to do. But is that the way in which we are to understand it? Or is there another way for us to approach reaching our destiny with God? So I offer you a third alternative. Rather than usurpation or assumption like these young men, I want to offer you the example of our king, David. So let me set the scene for you, if I may. 
In the book of 1 Samuel, we meet David as a young person. He's probably 15 or 16 years old when we meet him. And we remember he becomes a great hero. And Saul, the king, has decided he's a political threat. He's a, he's a threat to his throne. By the way, God has already sent Samuel to anoint David as king, unbeknownst to everybody else. David knows that he is going to be king one day because God sent his prophet. Well, Saul, in the meantime, doesn't like that idea. So he has David, he makes David flee. David flees into the wilderness and has to live the life of a vagabond. Around him, he gathers a group of young men who want to like him and are loyal to him. They remember him as a, a warrior. And they're willing to do whatever he wants. I mean anything. Especially one fellow named Joab. One of these days we've got to do a study of the life of Joab. Joab is like, uh, uh, what's his name? Ooh, Luca Brazzi, right? <laughs> He's the Luca Brazzi of, uh, of the Bible. That's right. And so... He says this, so we have, so now what's happened is David has surrounded the camp of Saul. Saul, who has been searching for him in the wilderness, has encamped. And David's men sneak up on the camp, and now they have their shot. They have their shot. So they're sneaking up into the camp, and they actually, I don't know how this works out, but they're actually right there. At the, at the encampment of Saul. He's laying right at their feet, sleeping. Scripture tells us that God had allowed a lot of very heavy sleep to fall on them. Maybe is that in protection of David, or is it for the purposes of getting rid of Saul? So it says, so he said to his men, oh, I, I see I went too far. Anyway, so Joab says, Listen, I have a spear right here. Tell, give me the word and I will pierce him with this spear. And guess what? I will not have to do it again. Because I'm going to put this thing right through his head. That's where we are, right? He's poised right there and he's going to stab him in the head. And after all, isn't this God's will? Because David is supposed to be king. Right? And this is what David said. He said, so he said to his men, far be it from me because of the Lord, that I should do this thing to my Lord, uh, my Lord, uh, the Lord's anointed, to stretch out my hand against him since he's the Lord's anointed. And David persuaded his men with these words and did not allow them to rise up against Saul. And Saul arose, left the cave, and went on his way. David wouldn't do it. Because he understood that God had given him a place, a place of honor. And somehow, God would make it happen. He would not have to do it by force. He would not have to do it with his own hand, even though he had the right. You see? When, when Korah says, listen, all the people are holy. 
Moses, you're not the only holy one. He's right. But God will fulfill the holiness of all of his people. And God will fulfill for us what we need done in our lives if we'll trust him. If we don't take it into our own hands every single time. Because the problem of taking it into our own hands is we always muck it up. In the end, we do something. There are always unintended consequences in our actions when we decide we're going to, we know better, and we'll do it. And I want to tell you, this business with the Esposito family and how they handled a very difficult situation, this all came to mind for me during this week as I was preparing this. They were on my mind. That 15 or 20 times, they could have just said, forget it, we're going, we're going to take a tougher route, we're going to get ugly about it and jump on people's backs. I'm not, you know, some of you are aware of some of the more uh, details of the circumstances. And maybe you would have won, maybe. But by doing it righteously, by allowing God to work in the, in the situation, as difficult as it may have seemed, Victory is in the end. Not only victory, but a great victory in my mind. A victory of testimony and witness and power. You see, had David, I want you to think about it. If David killed King Saul, let's say he did it, he would have lost half the tribes of Israel immediately. You're a murderer. That's how you got the throne. You're a usurper. You just took it for yourself. And David says, no, I'm not doing that. He is the anointed of the Lord. And only the Lord can take him out. And when God does, then I'll wait. And if each of us can wait for the Lord, for the things that God has in mind for us, the doors that he wishes to open for us, then we can walk through. So don't desire any more than God is giving you. If God wants you to have more, he will make sure that you get it. All you have to do is say, yes, Lord, and you will win. So, let's not covet what others have. Let's do the best with what we have until the Lord advances us to something greater. As it says in the letter of of Yaakov, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. May the Lord lift us up to the place where we belong without without our heads blowing off our shoulders. Amen.